0: Today is the March 20th meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is John 3 and the Gospel. If you would like to support our sermon audio ministry, please click the support button on our sermon audio page. Thank you. Good morning. Glad to see you all here at Hope Bible Church this 20th day of March Year of our Lord, 2022. The most important subject in the Bible is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news about how people can be made right with God, how they can be saved from their sins, how they can be forgiven, how they can have eternal life, and how they can go to heaven and not have to go to hell. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Steve mentioned the Apostle Paul. It's a key verse when you think about Paul's life, and this verse really sums up how he thought, how he lived. Acts 20, verse 24. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That was his purpose. That was his primary purpose, to testify to the Gospel, the grace of God. Matthew chapter 4, 23, speaking of Jesus. Says Jesus was going about in all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Mark 118, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ's number one message as well. And he was going all over and he was teaching people the gospel. But here it says the gospel of the kingdom. One thought we'll talk about a little bit later is that those then who are saved become members of the kingdom. Jesus clearly and continually explains the gospel in the gospel of John. There's no doubt that the gospel of John is the single best place for people to understand the gospel. If a new person is thinking about Christ, have them read the gospel of John. If you're an old Christian, been around for years, go to the gospel of John. You're going to find out in the weeks ahead. There is so much here. About the gospel, rich with truths that are important for us to understand. Jesus kept going over the gospel because he wanted to make sure that we as Christians know what it means. We're We're not fooled by any errors about the gospel, and so we know how to clearly share the gospel with other people. Of course, the devil, he hates the truth. He hates the truth of the gospel more than any single other thing. He doesn't want anybody on this earth to understand the gospel. So he sends sends his demons down, and he uses people as well, basically, to share a false gospel message to lead people away from God, a message that's not going to save people but actually is going to lead people to hell. These sobering verses in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, because you travel about and land and sea to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Talk about strong. But he was true. He was right. He was right. So what we're going to do is start in the Gospel of John John chapter 3. We'll go through John 3 and then next couple weeks, John 4, and just continue on through the Gospels. Turn in your Bibles then to John chapter three. I want you to read the we'll read the first eight verses there. These are, I think, familiar to, to many of you. And we're not gonna, not gonna go in detail on these verses. We're not gonna go really in detail in any verses in John, but we're just gonna look at some of the overall truths that, that are found found here. John 3, verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit." number of important points from these verses. The first one is this, is God wants to save individual people. Every person in this world is important. Every person is unique, and God does not save crowds. He doesn't save crowds. He saves individuals. So here we have the example of Nicodemus, and what you see in the Gospels is time and time again. In all the Gospels, Jesus is talking to individual people. He talks to crowds, of course, but he's talking to individuals as well, and we see that. Secondly, God works in people's hearts moving in their heart to save them. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a very religious person, to say the least. He was looked upon as being an important person because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling political body of of Israel that governed what took place. There were 70 people who were part of it, and he was one of them. So he was considered to be very, very important. But here's Nicodemus. He's coming to Jesus. Why? Why? You know the reason why? Because God was speaking to his heart, and God was drawing Nicodemus to himself. A person does not get saved unless God works in his life. That is the truth. This is verse John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Salvation then is of the Lord. Thirdly, a person who's saved has been physically born but also spiritually born. We all understand all of you here have a physical birthday. You all know what your birthday is. You have a birthday. Well, what this is saying is you have to be born again. Born again. Born of the water and born of the spirit. So there's another birthday. Now, a lot of you here are saved. You might know exactly when you got saved. Some of you don't. I don't. My wife remembers hers. It was 9-11-1984. But that's not the point. The main point is that we need to be born again. And it happens at a point in time. This is important because there are some people who believe in progressive salvation. I was raised in a church that was this, that the whole course of your life is, is a body of work. And when you die, then God will evaluate how, you're, how you did and your good deeds outweigh and your bad deeds. That kind of thing. There's people that think that way. It's your whole life. And what God said, Jesus said, no. Else, no, that's not it. You must be born again. It happens at a particular point in time when you are saved and forgiven of all your sins. Secondly, Jesus says truly, truly. And when, when Jesus says truly, truly, he's being emphatic. He's being bold. He's saying, hey, this is the truth. You must be born again. You must be. Very important. You'll see that truly, truly a lot in the Gospel of John. Fourth, it says a person who is born again is born again by the power of the Spirit. That is a person is only saved by the Spirit working in his heart. In John 16, 13, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit convicts a person of his sin. The Spirit needs to do that. Sometimes you know somebody and you say, Man, why don't they get saved? The Spirit has got to convict him of a sin. Say, God, by your Spirit, convict him. He needs to convict him of a sin, make him realize that he's guilty, and that he deserves then to be damned for his sins. thats needs to be punished. He needs to see that. Secondly, the Spirit enables a person to understand the gospel message. The Spirit is one who opens the eyes of the spiritually blind and helps understand who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Son of Man, and that he died on the cross to pay for our sins. The Spirit's got to do that. The Spirit's got to, again, open up a person's heart. Finally, the Spirit applies the the work of Christ to the heart of a person. We understand Jesus Christ dies on the cross to pay for a person's sins. How does that work of Christ be spiritually imputed or applied to a person's heart? I I tell you, we, we, we do not know how it really happens, okay? We're just humans, and we don't know. But the Spirit supernaturally takes what Christ does on the cross and applies it then, to the life of an unbeliever and saves them. There's a few words that are used in the Bible. One is the word renew. The Spirit renews our hearts. Another word is regenerate. The Spirit regenerates us. And here we see in John chapter 3, the word is born again. You must be born again by the Holy Spirit. Next, it says the person who is born again enters the kingdom of God. We don't always talk about this phrase, but it's quite common in the Bible. But a person who's born again enters the kingdom of God. A person who's not saved is not born again and is not in the kingdom of God. But once a person is born again, he immediately and supernaturally is, is taken and transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son. Again, how this happens, I have no idea. But, but think about this. That Colossians 1 says this. For God delivered us from sin, the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. That happens when you're born again. It happens right away. You are transformed, not in the kingdom of, of, of the devil, not in the, the kingdom of darkness, but in the kingdom of God. And so he's he's then taken to this kingdom, and 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 of course Jesus is the king of this kingdom. Christians now, we live in this church age, and so the kingdom we talk about, it's a spiritual kingdom. In fact, this is quite relevant. I'm not going to get into a lot here, but There's a lot of Christians who put a lot of emphasis on how we need to change our country, make this country a better place. Um, I think they're misguided. I'm not saying that we can't be involved in political things. I can't say we can't talk about that or help people in certain ways, you know, get elected. That's fine. But the main thing we need to do is what? Help people understand that they need to be in the spiritual kingdoms, not what party you belong to, not who's elected president. That's not the main thing by far. And so it's important we become a member of his kingdom. The age to come, it will be a physical and a spiritual kingdom, the millennial kingdom. It says this in, in Revelation eleven fifteen: The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. A powerful verse. Right now you have the kingdom of the world, 1 John five nineteen 19. It's run by the devil. It's not run by God. But this verse says in the future, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. This is the end of the age. In the millennial kingdom age starts, and Christ then is the king over the world, and we as Christians, Revelation 5.10 will reign with him then at that time. Sixth point, go back to John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. This speaks of, of, of God's, uh, God's work in saving people. And it's a spiritual, it's a supernatural, it's an unseen work, God working in your heart, God working in anybody's heart to save them. It's by the work of the Spirit, and we can't see in people, we can't see what God is doing and how the Spirit then is working in a person's heart. We, we don't tell God what to do. We have no influence over God at all when it comes to the specific work of saving people. We just don't. God does what he wants. God does what he planned to do in eternity, past and no one can stop him or keep him from saving the people that he has chosen to save. It's a great verse in the gospel. One of my favorites, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. It says, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. God chose us. You know, people say, well, you need to make a decision. Well, if a person gets saved, it really is God deciding, God choosing. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. That's through the work of the Spirit. And faith in the truth. So we see that both are coupled together our faith in the truth, and of course, ultimately, it's by God's work. And here it says by the Spirit. John chapter 3, we continue on in this chapter 9 through 14. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony? If I told you earthly things you did not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So here we read that... that, these verses explain about talk about Jesus and says that Jesus descended from heaven and, and, and became a man. What it's talking about here is the incarnation. How God became man. Jesus was a man, but he was God. And so God became flesh. God became man. That's what we understand. John 1.14 says, and the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. Again. Jesus became a man, the central to the truth of the gospel. Jesus oftentimes, I think it's it might be 80 times, uh, referred to himself as the son of man. He liked to do that. He, he referred to himself as the son of God. But the son of man was his, 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 his most popular way of referring to himself. He wanted people to know that he was the son of God, but also that he was the son of man. And as a man, then he could relate to people. You can identify with each one of us, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, he was tempted in all ways as we were, but he never sinned. And this is key. He never, ever sinned. He was perfect, and he was sinless, and he was holy, and he was blameless, and therefore he could become a mediator between God and man. He could represent God. He could represent man. That's key for him to be a savior, to be this mediator, could identify and relate to both parties. Verse 14 says, Jesus must be lifted up. This is referring to back, you we know, read about this in the book of Exodus and the time of Moses. They're out there in the desert, those 40 years. And it's a time when the people were sinning against God. So the answer that God gave to Moses was this. He says, I want you to take a pole. I want you to make, have somebody make a bronze servant and put it on that pole and have it lifted up. And everybody who has sinned is to look at that serpent. And it wasn't a mystical thing, but it was, a, it was a faith thing. You are believing, you're trusting, hey, you did some sinful thing, and you looked at this pole here, and, and it was a forgiving thing. That's what it was. The whole point here is the picture of how Jesus must be lifted up. We all understand the gospel. We understand Christ was crucified. We understand that he was nailed to the cross. We understand that he was lifted up. And there everybody could see him, okay? And he was there dying for our sins. And then of course he died on the cross. And and the whole point is is very, very simple. Is that they were to look to the serpent. Now we too are to look to Christ as he's dying on the cross. And of course there was I don't know, maybe thousands of people that saw Christ dying that day on that cross. There's many, many people there in Jerusalem at that time. But now through the centuries, through the years, as people, a person gets saved when he realizes that Jesus is on that cross and he looks to him. And that Jesus was dying for me. And as he was on that cross, he was paying for my sins. That's that's the kernel of the gospel right there. And so that's why he used this analogy of of Moses and the serpent to help people understand what he was was talking about. Here's some other verses that talk about the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also died for sins once for all the just For the unjust to bring you to God. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Powerful verses. I want you to turn a couple more here. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And and there's many, many verses, particularly in the first part of the book of Acts, that talk about the gospel. And I I like these here. Verse 22, Acts 2.22. It says, men of Israel, listen to these things. Jesus the Nazarene, a man, attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Good verses, again, about the gospel and what Christ did for us. So what do people need to do to be saved? So far we've talked about what God does, and specifically what God does through the person of Jesus Christ and what God does through the work of the Holy Spirit. But what do we need to do? Turn to John chapter 3. Go back there again as we work our way through these, really just the first half of this chapter. John chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, says so that whoever believes will believe. Whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. A few things here. First of all, verse 15 says you need to believe in Christ. You need to believe in Christ. You need to believe what? That he's both God and man. You need to believe that he was one who was holy and perfect. You need to believe that he is the one who died on the cross. Is on that cross about 2,000 years ago. He was paying for the sins of people. That's what he was doing. And if you believe, then you have eternal life. And you're forgiven of your sins and you're saved. That, that's, that's what we understand. And This believing then, of course is not just head knowledge. I say not just because you have to understand it in your head and also understand it in your heart. It's got to be heart knowledge. You have to be convinced that it's true. And then the person then this believing means you're looking to Christ. You're depending on him. You're trusting in Christ and not trusting in yourself. You're relying on depending on Christ then to save you for your sins because you realize that you can't save yourself. You realize there's nothing that you can do. You realize if, if your salvation was dependent upon you, You would not and could not get saved. Instead, you go to hell. That's what it is. It's very, very simple. That's why the word perish is there. When you believe in Christ, it means you know there's nothing you can do to get saved. That's what it means. You've given up on yourself. You've given up. I can't do it. You realize your good works can't save you. My good works can't do nothing for my salvation. Ephesians, Titus 3, 5 says... He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, for By grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's a, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we understand it's by faith. It's believing, it's by faith. And, and, and this word believe, then, is a synonym for faith. We're putting our faith in Christ and our faith in Christ alone. That's what we are doing it's a trust in him, a trust in him alone. You know, there are, are some churches, in fact, this is the kind of church I was raised in the first 17 years of my life, that say that, that you, you need to believe in Christ and what he did on the cross, but you also need to have good works. So it's this mixing of, of the work of Christ and your own works, and it's really confusing. It's not good. It's not right. Salvation is not faith. In Christ, plus your works, which is, again, is what many churches believe, but salvation is by faith alone in Christ. That's what it is. It's by Christ's work and your faith in Christ's work, and not by your works and your trusting in your works. That's what it is not. It is not that. I was just listening to news briefly today, and there's this one CEO. You would probably know who he is or at least know the company he represents, I won't say his name, but he's working with some Catholic group and they're sending thousands of rosaries to Ukraine. And so they are being lauded and praised on TV show this morning because of this. I've said the rosary hundreds of times back when I was a kid. I was one of those, quote, religious kids, okay? I've said the Our Fathers and the Hail Marys and the Glory Bees because there's a whole series of prayers and repetition. That's what it is. And it doesn't save you. Saying the Our Fathers and the Glory Bees and the Hail Marys don't save you, Okay? That's, it's not that it's not by any works at all. It is so important that we understand that. Okay, back to John three fifteen and sixteen. Verse fifteen: so Whoever believes will, will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This phrase "eternal life" is very common to the Gospel of John. It's a very very important phrase, and it says that God gives you. God gives you eternal life. Turn your Bibles to John seventeen, three. a verse we've referenced before. But in this context, it's important for us to see it again. Probably the most succinct verse there is in the Bible. We could have a whole discussion, a whole hour or two talking about what is eternal life. This sums it up here, John 17, 3. This eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is this. It's knowing God and Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with them. You all understand relationships with people. You all have relationships where you know somebody. You know somebody. You connect. You relate. You interact. There's communication. This is knowing God and Christ. It's God and Christ knowing you. It's you loving God. God in Christ, it's you knowing that they love you. It's this relationship. It's this eternal life. Turn to Philippians chapter three, verses seven to ten. Paul speaks of it here in a little different way, but the same kind of, of of thought. Philippians chapter three, verse seven to ten, and the Philippians three, these first few verses, verses through nine to ten, is really the uh, testimony. And Paul, different places in the Bible, and epistles, and Acts shares his testimony. This is. One way he shares it here, he says in verses 7, we'll start here. He talks before about his past, and he was a very, very righteous and religious Jew. I mean, he was one of the best religious Jews there was. But in verse 7, it says, but whatever things were gained to me, all that, all I did that made me a good Jew, whatever those things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. As loss. It's a word that you could say, we could translate as manure. Okay, more than that, I count all things to be lost and view this as a passing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So he talks here again. He's talking about the gospel. This is what he's saying here. And, and you're saved then, not by your works, but by the work of Christ and by your faith in him. The result of that then is that you are right with God. You have this righteousness. And you are holy. You are blameless. And you are forgiven. And then it says two times to know Christ. Another time it says to gain Christ. It's a great way to talk about salvation. You know Christ or you gain Christ. You have this eternal life, this personal and permanent relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. It's such a wonderful thing because you have eternal life, and you can't lose your salvation. We'll talk more about that in the future. We continue on. John 3, 16, 18. Just a few more thoughts about this. First of all, this salvation is God's idea and plan. It says, for God, for God so loved. It was God's idea and plan. It sure wasn't the idea or thinking of any person any, any person who's unsaved, their thinking is 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 not right. It's, it's fleshly. And, and, and a person who's unsaved in his own does not want to get saved. He's interested in other things, which we'll read about here in just a minute or see in a minute. And so, way back in eternity past, back before this world was ever made, God planned to save people, and God planned the means by which people would be saved that be through the person of jesus christ so god had all planned out he had all figured out way long time ago says there for god so loved which means that one of god's primary motivations is saying people that he loved us his love what we call an agape love which means it's unconditional it's spiritual it's supernatural and it's eternal God looked down upon mankind. He had compassion. He saw the miserable state that we are in. And his love is the reason then that he sent his son down to this earth. Down to this earth and to save us from sin. I'm going to share four words here. All very important. I'm just going to go over them briefly. Save us from sin and from death and from hell and from the devil. Turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John has a lot in the Gospels as well. The message, of course... Apostle John wrote these epistles of John, but important and, and a lot of good truths here are mentioned, but verses um first John four, nine and ten talked about the love of God. First John chapter four, end of your Bibles right before Jude and Revelation. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, what our idea, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Turn back to 1 John chapter 3 and verses 7 through 10. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one is born of God, practices sin, because his seed, cannot, seed abides in him. And he cannot sin, because he's born of God. But by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. A lot here. Okay, I'm just going to mention a couple of things, but clearly a person who is saved, who's a true believer, is one who is righteous and then does righteous things. That is, you can tell a Christian by what he does. It's the work of God in him that enables him to do these righteous things, but indeed it is, is, is righteous things that he does. We see there that that the unbelievers are ones who practice sin. Practice just means it's their lifestyle. That's what they do. We also see here there's only two kinds of people in the world. This is, probably says it more clearly here than any place else in the Bible. There are two kinds. What are they? Children of God and children of the devil. I mean, you don't think this way usually, do you? You go out and about, go down to the street or the store or at your workplace. Well, there's children of the devil here and there's children of God. That's the truth. That's the truth. And that, that doesn't mean we should have a, a proud feeling about who we are. We should have love and mercy and compassion on people who are caught in the schemes and the works of the devil. Number third point here under this John 3, 16, 17, 18 part is that God gave his son to us. That salvation is, is a gift from God to us. We, we don't deserve to be saved. We deserve to be damned to be in hell. That is the truth. That's the gospel truth. We couldn't work for our salvation. We couldn't pay for our sins. We couldn't do it. Turn your Bible to Psalm 49. I mentioned this before, but a lot of people believe there's things that you can do to save yourself or even save others. And Some churches do believe that, that, well, I can help this person get saved. It says in Verse 7 through 9, Psalm 49. No man can by any means redeem his brother. You can't do anything to save another person. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly. He should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. Can't do it. I want to read a little. Well, this is. uh, Some of you heard of the Book of Maccabees. Book of Maccabees is is um, a book that the Catholics uh, have in their Bible. They have like six or seven others that are not in the quote Protestant Bible. And this Book of Maccabees, there's two, First and Second Maccabees, appears, I believe, at the end of the Catholic Old Testament. But, but there's some things that are said here that aren't true. I and mean, what you see when you read these, you know, there's Parlippiman and estrus and Maccabees, that, that there's some good points then mixed with things that aren't true. And so that's what you have to understand. And so you would say then that this is non canonical. This isn't of the canon. This isn't part of the true Bible because there's error here. Okay, let me read through this. This is just, there's a battle. Judas of Maccabees was the top guy, the leader, and stuff. And they were defeating the bad people, and they won some victories. It says this: it "says that then Judas assembled his army and went to the city of Adullam. And on the seventh day was coming on, they purified themselves according to the custom and kept the Sabbath there. On the next day, as had now become necessary, Judas and his men went to take up the bodies of the fallen and to bring them back." To lie with their kindred in the sepulchres of their ancestors. So, some people had died in the battle. They're going to bury them. Then, under the tunic of each one of the dead, they found sacred tokens of the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids the Jews to wear. It became clear to all that this was the reason these men had fallen. So, these idols. You say, man, they died because they were worshiping these idols. So, it says, they all bless the ways of the Lord, the righteous judge who reveals the things that are hidden. And they turned to supplication, praying that the sin that had been committed might be wholly blotted out, that these people had already died. Okay, let's pray for the dead. That's what he's saying right here. Pray, let's pray for the dead. The noble Judas exhorted the people to keep themselves free from sin, for they had been seen with their own eyes what had happened as a result of the sin of those who had fallen. He also took up a collection, man by man, to the amount of 2,000 drachmas of silver and sent it to Jerusalem to provide for a sin offering, in doing this, he acted very well and honorably taking account of the resurrection. For if you were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. Clearly, this guy and the writer, hey, we, we need we need to pray for the dead. I mean, you've heard of purgatory that Catholics some others might be you know means a place of purging. That when you die, and in fact, when I was growing up, I was ten years old. I get these little called holy cards from the Catholics, you know, and it says, "Say this prayer, you know, this many times, and you'll get seven years out of purgatory." I'm serious, somewhere three hundred. I love the seven year ones, man. I would pray that prayer and kept praying, man. I got seven years gone, seven more years gone. I would pray that. That's how we were led to believe as Catholic children. You pray this prayer enough times, and it actually should have kept one of, but. You can get out of, out, of, quote, you're out of jail, out of purgatory card, but let, let's keep going here. Um, I'll repeat again. If you were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. But he was looking to the splendid reward that is later for those who fall asleep in godliness. It was a holy and pious thought. Therefore, he made atone for the dead so they might be delivered from their sin. Again, this is it. This is, this is the main text that the Catholics use to talk about praying for the dead and, and saying prayers. And if you go to a Catholic uh, building, a church, um, uh, you, you go to the back of the church, there's all these little candles, a bunch of little candles, little places you can put in money. And you put in the money and, and you're thinking, I'm going to pray for this person here and it's going to help that person who's already died make it out of purgatory and into heaven so that they have all kinds of things like this and they just they're just not right. it is not not true at all. So the point is John 3:1816 to 18, God freely gave his Son to us to save. It's a free gift. The wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We continue on those who John 3:18, those who don't believe are ones who perish. The word perish means to destroy forever. That is, who don't, people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who don't look to him to be saved, will perish. There'll be ones who will be in hell. There'll be ones who are forever punished for their sins. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. That's heavy. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Can't get around it, can you? And we can't comprehend what that means because in our minds, if something's destroyed, it's destroyed. If something's burning, it's burned up. No, the unbelievers are going to get a resurrection body fit for hell that will go on and live forever and ever. It's a sad. It's, it's so sobering. That's, that's the truth. One of the most sobering things you can think of, that a person who doesn't believe in Christ is apart from God will perish forever. A few verses uh, that I think are maybe some very strong ones too, but I'm trying to give you the the truth of this, the starkness of this truth, the reality of it, the soberness of it. Matthew 25, if you want to turn there, three verses to look at. Jesus, of course, talked about heaven and hell more than anybody and definitely talked about hell more than anybody. Matthew 25, three verses, and just put them together and you'll you'll see here as we read these. 31, when the Son of Man comes, not 30, throughout the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is, in hell there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 41 says, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place of eternal fire. You can't get around it. You cannot. Last verse of the chapter 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Yet this contrast. You have, we talk about eternal life here. Those who perish, it's eternal punishment. You equate eternal punishment with eternal fire. It says it so clear here, what it's about. This is the truth. This is true. And You need to think this way. Whether it's your own life, you're not sure if you're saved, Or the lives of others you know, whether it's your family, friends, people down the street, people you meet in the street, whoever it might be. We need to think this way, understand what God says about these things. We continue back in John 3. We'll finish up this section here. John 3 says, verse 19, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. People who don't believe in Christ love the darkness. They love their sin. That's the truth. You ask somebody who's doing something wrong, why did you know I wanted to do it? I wanted to do it. You you ask them. I wanted to do it. I did it. They love the darkness, they love their sin, but they don't love Christ. They're idolaters. They don't humble themselves before God and don't then repent of their sins. And sinners then love their choice. It is their choice, it is their desire to love their sin, to love the darkness, and to hate Christ. That's the truth. That's what we understand here. Very important to see this, that God judges people who love their sin, who love the darkness, who love doing what they want to do. Got to see this. And so then, an unbeliever, we know this happens in life all the time. People blame others for their problems, right? His fault, her fault, their fault, parents' fault, not my fault, God's fault. Can't do it. You can't blame God for your sin. You can't blame anyone for your sin. You can only blame yourselves, and that's the work of God's spirit in you that helps you to see that, because you will have unbelievers going up and down all the way till they die. It wasn't my fault? It was their fault. Pray for unbelievers to see that it was their fault. Secret 18 18:4 says it simply, "The soul that sins will die." That means physical and spiritual death, the soul that sins. We're talking about a soul. Sin starts in the soul of a person. Let's conclude by going to John chapter 1, verse 12. And 13. Many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of god god again good what we call gospel verses that as we think of different verses to share with people about hey how to be, become a christian and this is a good one here let me just say a couple things here those who are saved are ones who received christ the word received means this it means to take hold of it means to obtain it means to grasp the person who gets saved, that is one who wants Christ. He desires Christ by the working of the Spirit, and he takes hold of Christ, and he receives Christ. That's what it is. So we're talking about salvation being one who receives Christ, but also then one who believes in his name. We talk about the word believe means you have faith, you trust, you rely, you depend on Jesus Christ. Belief in his name. The word name is, is a word that means the totality of who Christ is, the totality, that he's the Son of God that he's a son of man, that he was perfect and holy and blameless and loving, and that he died on the cross for our sins. So to believe in his name just doesn't mean you believe that Jesus Christ lived or just that he died. You believe in who he is and what he did, all that he did for you. That's, that's what we're saying here. He's not just saved from his sin. This is a wonderful truth. He becomes a child of God. When we talk about the gospel, and you're going to see this, and we're going to go over this again and again. I'll say it simply here now is oftentimes we share the gospel, we can say you're saved from your sin. You won't go to hell. You have to understand that the gospel, and particularly in the gospel of John, the gospel of John is not so much about what you're not going to get, you're not going to be punished, you're not going to perish, even though that's true. It focuses on, and you're going to see it just time and time and time again, what God wants to give you. God wants to bless your life. And here we see that he wants to give you eternal life, which is a big phrase for all these other good things we're going to talk about as we go through John 4, 5, 6, and 7 and on. There's so much. It's just, it's just a wonderful truth. And it's important for you to see that because sometimes people have this bent, even as Christians. Oh, God needs to save me from, first from a sin. True. But God wants to give you, wants you to give you, wants you to have this eternal life, which is then defined in all these other ways in the Gospel of John that we'll see as we go through here in the weeks ahead. So it's, it's a wonderful truth. That, that we are children of God. As it says in 1 John chapter 3, then we are not children of the devil. So people need to receive Christ and believe in his name. But we need to understand that salvation is still the sovereign work of God in a person's heart. And that's what we see here in verse 13. It says here, verse 13, you're born not of blood. What does that mean? means you're not going to be saved by being in a certain family, having certain parents, having a certain bloodline, a certain race, a certain color, certain ethnic. That's not it. You're not saved by your blood. That's not it. You're not saved by the flesh. What does that mean? You're not saved by the works you do. There's nothing that you can do for yourself. We've talked about good works. You cannot do any good works. They don't work in saving you. It's not by blood. It's not by the flesh. It's not by the will of man. That is, it's, it's, it's not by what any man can do for you. We looked at Psalm 47. We looked at the example in there in Maccabees, how they're praying for the dead. It's not what anybody can do for you. It's not the will of not man. It's not by going to some church and they've got these rules and rituals that you need to abide by and you do these things and you'll be saved. It's not that. It's not by blood. It's not by flesh. It's not by the will of man, but rather by the will of God. That's what it is. It's a wonderful truth. I mean, this is, it's, it's, just, it's so important that we see this, that it's the will of God. God chooses who gets saved, and God then saves a person by his grace, by his power, and by his Holy Spirit. And the ultimate purpose of salvation is what? It is for the glory of God. Let's conclude with John 17. Again, these are verses that you've, I'm sure, read. But you see it here. It's summed up quite well here, of course, I mean, the more, as I go along as a Christian, the more I read the Bible I say, man, this is a wonderful book. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. It's got encouraging things in it. John 17, to 5, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. You see this this humility, this, this, this mutual love for one another. I want you, Father, to be glorified. You glorify me so I can glorify you. And we read, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given, he may give eternal life. This eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Wonderful. So always remember that. If you're a believer, it's in, I think it's, First Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Give God all the credit and all the glory, so let's do that now. Father, we thank you so much for this time to look at your word. Your word is wonderful, and it helps us to see what the truth and, and help us, God, by your spirit to understand it and be encouraged by it, and even as we talk about it here, the gospel means we're not going to perish, but have eternal life. Just You're going to take away our sin and, and give us this, this wonderful life we bless you for that, Father. We thank you and you give you the glory, the honor, and help us, God, to keep doing this. We so many times get our eyes off, off 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 you and onto ourselves. I do it myself. And I shouldn't do it. We all do it. We start thinking about ourselves at our own problems, our own situations. God help us to think about you and primarily to think about what you've done for us by having your son and your spirit then save us from our sins. We thank you for that and we give you the glory. give you the honor. I give you the praise because you deserve it. I mean, this is amazing. We know you. We'll know you forever. People get afraid of physically dying. Do not be afraid of it. That's the time we get to be in heaven. What what good news this is. I, I pray, Lord, I don't know the hearts of everybody in this room here, but if anybody doesn't know you, God, I pray that you by your spirit would speak to their hearts and show them their need for you. And God, save their souls and give them a new purpose and a heart and a love for you, God, to serve you from now and forever and ever. And thank you, Lord, for even the people that we meet that are unbelievers. It might be a place of work or family, friends, whoever. God, we ask you, Father, then to to use us. Help us to be ones who have a love for the lost, have compassion for their souls. Remember what we or like before we were saved. And so, God, use us as individuals, use us as families, as a church. Lord, for the lost, pray for Bethel too, Lord. I'm, I'm glad and encouraged by their heart of evangelism, the heart to reach out. I pray you bless them as well. And this whole country, this whole world, we know that gospel's going to be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. That last person to be saved is saved, and, Lord, you will send your son back. That's a wonderful thing. But, but thank you again, Lord, for this church. Thank you for those who couldn't be here. I know talking to uh, Mary Ellen and her, her mom, Jean, last week. Jean is very weak, Lord. She's still going on, but her body is wearing out. But just pray for her to be encouraged and others, Lord, who may not feel well. Even some of us here we all oh, most of us here have some kind of aches and pains Lord help us to continue on in spite of our physical struggles or ailments but thank you again Father for your love Jesus Holy Spirit we bless you pray all this in Jesus name amen we're just going to pray for the Ukraine situation too just to um, uh, I, I mentioned to you a few weeks back about you know Samaritan's purse and you know their work over there they got their little hospital there I think in Ukraine. Um, and, of course, their Operation Christmas Child and, what was it, 600,000 boxes and 400,000 had been distributed and not sure where the rest are at at this time. But, but you know, God's doing his work. I got a little prayer thing from TMAI. They have a, we, we, we support the training center in Honduras, but they have a training center over there in Kiev. And, and there's, you know, some difficulties. you know. Some people that they know, they're not heard of them. I'm not sure where they're at, so we want to pray for them. But one thing I want to say, too, is, I, I, you know, I have this blog post, and um, I've not said much about this. One thing I do is I, I, use, I get ads, and and uh, I have a person in church who helps me do these ads, and so I can target countries. And so two weeks ago, for example, we targeted all the Spanish countries. We had 9,000 clicks, about 9,000. That is 9,000 people looked at the blog because you advertised. It was just phenomenal. I mean, so, so I'm just saying pray pray um, uh, for that. And so then I thought, and I, I hadn't done it, I thought, you know, Ukraine is probably shut down. I might as well, why, why spend money over there for that because there's probably not working. So I, well, let's try it. <laughs> so we did it. So 300 people have looked at it in the last couple of days. This is wonderful, you know? So that's what we can do. And your prayers are part of this whole process to keep praying for that situation. Again, knowing that the big thing is spiritual. I'm not going to share all the details, but i was, I was I was reading something this morning about, about what's going on in Ukraine and and the spiritual nature of it, and and in fact, I'll say this real quick. Just make it real quick. Is that over there you have the main churches in Russia, Ukrainian Russian Church and Ukraine's Ukrainian Orthodox Church, and, and I knew this back when I was there in 1994 and five that this and and they're joined together, but they're different. But they, you know, there's one Ukraine. Well, three years ago, you know what happened? The official split between the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And Ukrainian Russian Church, and there's one guy from Russia named Putin. He doesn't like that. It's spiritually based. It's a spiritual thing. When the Russian, well, it's called Russia, way back 900 AD when it started, it, the, the center was in Kiev. That's where it all started. And, and Putin's a historian. He understands stuff, man. We got to get things back together. So even though he's evil and terrible, what he's doing, there's spiritual thinking in his mind as well. But anyway, let, let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your your love and kindness and and we have, most of us have seen the things that are taking place over there and it's just tragic. The buildings being blown up and the people and the people that have died and the children and and it's just, it's just sick. And we know Putin is an evil man. We understand that. We also know that you're sovereign. But we want to pray to you, Lord. Not, pray mainly for people's souls, that people would turn to you, Father. Pray for the leaders, God. You help the pastors there to do what they need to do to encourage and build and to share the gospel with the lost and pray that, Father, you would do a great work of saving people. Won't know until the future uh, how people got saved in this time, but I have to believe that you are doing this. So we just want to pray for them, Lord. That's the, the best thing we can do, says in Mark. Gospel of Mark, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. And we thank you that we can pray, and we want to keep praying and ask for your mercy, your grace over there. But thank you, God, again now for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.